Welcome to the Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hi, I'm Bala Musitz, a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and now the recently retired David D. Ray Professor of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Clarkson University. And coming to you from Münster, Germany, I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy listening to today's mini-podcast as much as we've enjoyed creating it. Many people often ask me, Mike, why are you and Bela doing this? And its I'll tell you, it's not to make money. Uh, the two of us both like to learn from smart and interesting people about how the world is changing, how innovation and entrepreneurship are changing, and we like to overlay our observations and compare them with the lessons that we've each learned over three-plus decades as entrepreneurs, investors, managers, and professors. To do this, we've put together our network of interesting friends, former students, and business partners, along with other people that we've met recently, to bring you interesting stories, ideas, and insights into innovation, entrepreneurship, and the people that take unconventional paths to find happiness at work and in life. So Mike and I do these mini topics uh, on occasion, and uh, they're really meant to be uh, sort of uh, get you thinking about various different topics that are of interest to entrepreneurs. So there's no interview today. Uh, These are typically shorter uh, sessions, uh, 10 to 15 minutes long. And today's mini topic is sustainability and entrepreneurship. Yeah, Bela and I both recently returned from uh, short trips that we took. Uh, Bela, you spent how many days on a sailboat? I spent uh, over two weeks on a sailboat uh, sailing from Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia to Baltimore, Maryland. And so I got to see uh, a lot of different culture up in Nova Scotia, and I got to spend a fair amount of time uh, out in the ocean and uh, observing what floated by and what swam by. So it, uh, it got me to thinking about the uh, things that we do in life that have an impact on that beautiful resource that I was uh, getting to experience. And I was uh, on the other side of the Atlantic uh, traveling through Norway. And uh, again, on the coast and lots of fjords and, and, and water and a place where amazingly, uh, in the city of Oslo anyways, it looked like about half the cars were electric. It was remarkable. Uh, and you really had to be careful crossing the street because uh, you couldn't hear them coming. Um, and as a former electric car driver, I used to, to drive a BMW i3. I really enjoyed looking at all the diversity there is now in terms of electric cars and the charging stations and the whole the whole setup. So that got me thinking about sustainability and entrepreneurship. And what are the opportunities? What are the challenges? And so when Bale and I both got back and reconnected from our time um, away, uh, I thought, hey, Bela, Let's let's do something on sustainability. And you know, we said we've had a few guests that have that have been had the sustainability as part of their purpose or part of their business plan. Um, recently, uh, we had Ravish Majitia, and he did the sustainable labeling and the packaging. Some of you, our listeners might remember. Uh, and uh, a few months back, we had you uh, and Poon who did uh, the the scooters, right? Originally, one of the one of the in- original entrepreneurs of kind of this personal mobility model to get some of the cars off the streets. Um, so, so lots of interesting interesting things. So, Bela, what do you th- see as some of the entre- uh, opportunities for green entrepreneurship? So, <clears throat> I think we just we just talked about two really big categories that have an impact on the environment. One is packaging and all the packaging that we have that we we throw out uh, after we open the product. And the other one is transportation. 
And I think those are two big leverage areas. And, you know, I, I got to thinking about the packaging because when you're out in the ocean, that's sort of the impact you see, right? We're sailing, so we're, 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 we have a pretty good green footprint. Uh, and <laughs> you, you see all sorts of stuff washed up on beaches. And you think to yourself, you know, why do we have this? It's fundamentally a convenience. Um, and I, I think there's lots and lots of opportunities here to sort of uh, improve the sustainability of things that we do in packaging. And, and there's lots of entrepreneurial companies. You know, there's a company uh, here in upstate New York that actually makes uh, packaging a foam. You know, the foam that's normally styrofoam or it's actually uh, expanded polystyrene, the, the, the stuff that a lot of stuff comes packaged in. Mm-hmm. They make it out of mushrooms. They actually grow it. So it's 100% organic. Uh, they grow this sort of foam, and uh, they grind up the mushrooms, and they make it into this, this foam. And you can, you can put it in your composting pile, right? So really cool. They're doing really well. Interestingly enough, they're getting most of their traction from European companies uh, because I think this is one place where parts of the world are much more advanced than we are, and they have fundamentally legislated or regulated that pack, the company that makes the packaging that your product is shipped in is responsible for being able to get rid of that packaging. So that really sort of changes the economics in the equation to the manufacturer. And Norway and was so, a good example of this when I asked a local about the car situation. And he was like, yeah, he's like, the government gives you a big subsidy to buy an electric car, at least an electric car. They subsidize the price. Uh, of the electricity when you go and charge your car. So it's very inexpensive. And then on the flip side, they've said, we're not going to sell any more internal combustion cars after a certain date. I forget exactly what he told me, but you know, five years from now, they're not going to allow the sale. So it's a combination of incentives and, uh, and a date. And you know, that was government policy. Yeah. And, and uh, as you mentioned that, I sort of like that balance of sort of incentives that drive the market in one direction but then also having sort of a clear phase-out process for getting rid of the technology you're trying to replace. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I don't know if everybody knows this, Bela, but I don't own a car anymore. When I moved here, we, my wife and I each had a car, uh, and, and we don't have a car anymore. And I ride my bike or walk to work. I can take the bus or the train anywhere. I have a car-sharing um, we have a car sharing service in, uh, in Munster here and right, uh, a block away from my apartment is a parking lot and a little box that I swipe my, my card and, uh, and, and, and get access to a, to a car for a few euros. Uh, I can, I can get a yeah. car and go shopping or whatever. So I don't, yeah. I don't have a car. So I think as an entrepreneur, you got to think about the opportunities here. And I, I will make a comment that you want to be careful uh, if if the uh, opportunities or the marketplace is solely driven by market incentives. Um, we've seen examples uh, here in the United States for solar power that you can add to your house. And many states uh, dramatically subsidize that and force the power utility to buy back the extra electricity you generate at the same price that you sell it to, that they sell it to you for. So there's this net zero metering, and and it really drove a lot of solar power 
uh, installations, both the subsidy and this sort of uh, forcing the utility to buy it back. And in all places of in Arizona, where you figure, okay, if solar is going to work any place in this country, it's going to work in Arizona because they have a mm-hmm. lot of sun for a lot of days. Uh, Arizona legislature got rid of the subsidy and the solar market basically shut down. So the point I'm trying to make here is as entrepreneurs, you want to be careful that your business doesn't solely rely on these subsidies. I think you want to think about market niches that sort of uh, have this balance of making economic sense with or without these subsidies. The subsidy should be a sweetener, not something that's driving 100% of the market. So, because you do run this big risk of, of policymakers changing their mind or changing the policy, and then poof, you could be gone. Yeah, so let's bring it back to packaging, Bela, all right? And even just yeah. thinking about the bathroom, right? And how many plastic bottles do you have in your bathroom? I was, you know, now in, in Europe, at least, and I think in the U.S. too, they're starting to get rid of those little plastic bottles of shampoo and conditioner and lotion, and they're just putting big refillable bottles in the in the hotel bathrooms, which is great. And that got me thinking about my own bathroom and how many plastic bottles I go through uh, you know, we go through in a in a month or whatever. And I did a little research just uh, on the web and just to see what's out there. And the first thing I found were bamboo toothbrushes, that the plastic in your toothbrush, people go through, I don't know, I think my de- I have to go to the dentist tomorrow. And I think they would tell you every three months, at least you should have a new toothbrush. And uh, that's that thing's made of plastic with nylon bristles. And entrepreneurs developed bamboo handles and the brushes are still nylon and you have to snap those off and those but you know 80 percent of the mass of this thing is now bamboo and it takes six months to biodegrade um in 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 a landfill or in a compost pile right right and you know in in related to this on the laundry side uh, washing clothes we've gone to concentrated detergents right so instead of using a cup of detergent like you used to in the past uh which You've, we all learned that most of those detergents were 80% water and you had to use a whole cup. Now you use a tenth of a cup to do your laundry. Well, why can't we do the same thing with shampoo uh, that I use for washing my hair, right? Why do, why do I need to put a, a three-ounce blob in my hand when that's mostly mostly water? Why not be able to just put a little drop in there and that gives me enough soap to wa- and conditioner to wash my hair? Yeah. Or in, so I think there's lots of opportunities like yeah, that. Yeah, in the UK, there's a brand called Bain and Savon and they make shampoo bars. They've taken all the water out and the ingredients are in a bar, like a, a bar of hand soap, right? Old school. Like soap, yeah. yeah. And no plastic, they wrap it in paper and, and, and that's how it, it, it's uh, sold. Um, and you just lather it up. You know, the, why ship a bottle full of water when you're taking a shower or a bath and that's water? So you just lather it up and it's the same ingredients as as bottled shampoos and they sell a conditioner same way. Yeah. Makes yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a great idea. Or the one that pisses you know, was- me off is dental floss, right? I hate like, you know, is it just me? Maybe I'm not coordinated, but you pull the dental floss out and invariably in every pack at some point, the whole thing falls apart and the little metal tooth comes out. I mean, does this, is this just me? Has this happened to you at all? Well, I think uh, I need to pull out, uh, you know, a 20 inch piece of dental floss, but I end up fundamentally only using four and a half inches of it. Yeah. (laughs) And the rest of it is sort of thrown out. So this company called... Georganics has gone old school and they just sell the floss and there are companies that make floss out of silk, right? 
Um, yes. It's not even plastic. But they give you, the first time you buy it, you buy a glass jar, jar with a metal lid, and then they just send you in a paper envelope as needed the refills, and you just pop them in. So you're not buying oh, these plastic yeah, yeah. containers you know, once every two months or whenever you buy, buy dental floss. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. You, the, the, uh, the bakery uh, used to have like a thing of twine yeah. that sat inside this little box. Oh, we right? are it was so a, old. A, that Pe- thousand feet of right. twine in this little box that they would just pull out. And, right? People aren't going to remember that. They used to hang. Remember, it used to hang <laughs> on top of the counter and they'd pull it down and somehow magically it would get cut. Right. And then they'd wrap yeah. up the box. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's going to remember yeah. that. People are going to think we are ancient, dude. But I love so it. So I think what's. What's interesting, Mike, is that, you know, our our journey to plastics and our journey away from wood was driven by uh, everything was in glass fundamentally before plastic. All the containers were made out of glass and and plastic was sort of the cheaper, lighter way of doing it, save money transporting it. Uh, But plastic is really challenging to recycle and glass is super easy to recycle. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it's fundamentally made of sand. Um, and so there's this real opportunity here to sort of rethink some of those things. You know, everything is, is, uh, was made out of wood and what, or paper, right? Mm -hmm. So paper, paper came, paper wrapped a lot of stuff or paper derivatives. And, you know, we were cutting down all the trees. So we sort of said, Hey, we got to preserve trees and we moved to plastics and both the move to plastics in both of these examples to replace glass and to replace paper when we did them we thought they were good ideas but they've really turned to haunt us here in the years later yeah and i th- and i think this good sorry because we never really we never really think about what happens to things after we're done using them right and i think that plastics have an important role but not for things that we're throwing away, not in disposable regular use senses. That plastic is lightweight, it's strong, right? And for the very reasons that it doesn't break down, right, in light or uh, uh, heat or things like that, that right. it's not like, oh, we want to ban all plastics. That's not, I think, what I'm advocating anyways, but it's just thinking about where and when we use plastics that it's the appropriate time versus alternatives um, so these bits and pieces don't wind up in the ocean and and in the food stream and in people's bodies i think that's that's where we've kind of the, the pendulum has swung too far the other direction it needs to come back a little yeah. bit toward the middle you know yeah it's the single use it's the single use plastic containers yeah. that are that are a challenge but all kinds of entrepreneurial opportunities here i think i think you know yep. the 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 certainly in europe and i think increasingly in the u.s um people's perceptions have changed people might be willing to pay a few cents more um, for something that's sustainable, uh, people are changing the way they they make choices, and I think that this is that. Bo- there's this nice opportunity. Um, the big companies haven't fully jumped on board yet, right? The the Unilevers and the Procter and Gamble's, although they're starting. Um, but there's a nice opportunity for entrepreneurs to jump in here and develop some new uh, niches and some some new ways of packaging and some new ways of marketing. Uh, that can be really useful, uh, and and they can make some money, and maybe they can sustain uh, s- sustain their brands, or maybe they get acquired, um, or there's always the risk that they get run out. But it's a it's a neat opportunity, I think, for people to think entrepreneurial um, about sustainability, and specifically in this case about uh, about packaging, as we've been talking about for the last uh, uh, twenty minutes or so. Yeah, and I think you know the warming environment and sustainability is. 
you can't go a day without hearing something about that in the news or reading some article about it. So I think it's in the forefront of people's minds. And when things are in the forefront of people's minds, that usually develops market opportunities for you. Yep. Because right? people are thinking about yep. it. Yep. And I'll tell you, um, from my view over here in Europe, and you know, I don't want to politicize things overtly, but when I was in Norway, people say, yeah, look, the, you know, here's the glaciers. And the glaciers used to be here, and now they're, they're way up here. And the temperature of the water has changed. And what the fish uh, are able to do has changed. And where they're migrating to has changed rapidly in this generation. And the people who are my age and older are like, hey, when we were younger, this wasn't happening. I was in France at vine- uh, looking at, touring a vineyard, and they were like, yeah, from here on, we can't grow these grapes anymore. And this has been over a decade. The change has been visible. Um, so there's plenty of people who their livelihood depends on this, and they are very, very, very scared. And they're spreading the word to people that, you know, yeah, we can argue, uh, you know, in the U.S., there's an argument about whether this is natural or whether this is made by humans. And, you know, that doesn't matter. The way I've always taught sustainability is, is that um, the data are very clear in terms of the amount of warning going on. I don't care what the – I mean, I do care personally, but I don't want – to force you to, to, to think one way or the other over what caused this. But as a business person, you have to respond to the fact that means of production are going to change. The available raw materials are going to change. Uh, the access uh, that different consumers will have are going to change. And this is food. This is um, um, uh, any kind of agriculture. Anything that's related on uh, natural resources uh, is going is to have an impact on. Um, so it's important that people start thinking about this from a business standpoint. Yeah, I agree, Mike. I agree. And sometimes I think that uh, when we argue about climate change and what and, you know, is it natural or blah, 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 we're arguing about the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's pretty clear to me that dumping plastic in the ocean is bad. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Right. It's pretty clear to me that dumping sewage into rivers is bad. Yep. So so let's solve the problems. Right. There's some there's there's low hanging fruit, as they say. That's that's out there that um, entrepreneurs, I think, can tackle uh, and get lots of mileage. And I think the marketplace, meaning customers and people, are sort of tuned into this. And 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 there's a large percentage of them that are willing to participate. They want to feel good about it. So as you think about your business, you know, think about making that a part of what you do and part of your uh, sales process, I'll call it. And, and there's great examples. I mean, look at Patagonia, right? They have this recycled threads program mm-hmm. where, they, where they talk about send us back your old Patagonia clothing and we chop up the polyester and we make new polyester out of it and then we make a new piece of clothing yep, out of it. loop. And, and yeah, and, and so they've really built a brand around that. Uh, they're one of the many examples of companies that have done things like that. So there is opportunity there and, and I think that the time is right uh, for entrepreneurs to think about this and uh, and start uh, trying different things out in the marketplace. Yeah. So listeners, there's the challenge, right? Either be entrepreneurial and do something about this, or at least as a consumer, make some choices and, hey, support other entrepreneurs who are trying to do this. Yeah, so I think that's a wrap, Mike. Yep. What do you think? Totally. Uh, thanks for joining us, listeners, and we hope uh, you enjoyed our little uh, mini episode, our little mini uh, walk in the woods, so to say, about uh, sustainability and entrepreneurship. Uh, we hope you found it interesting and thought-provoking. As usual, if you have questions or arguments or disputes or ideas uh, about what we've brought up today, uh, please uh, 
let us know. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Uh, and if you like what we're doing, hit subscribe on your podcast app or a like or whatever it is that your your podcast tool uses. Um, and even uh, it'd be great if you consider writing us a quick review. If you know others that might find us interesting, please share us with them. So thank you for spending time with us. Uh, we look forward to having you joining us for our next episode. Signing off from upstate New York. See you next time. And that's it from over here in Münster, Germany. Have a great week, Bela. We'll talk with you soon. This podcast is produced for Mike and I by our friends at Busy Media of Schenectady, New York. They can be found at busymedia.co.